0: Alright, Daniel chapter 1, we're actually going to read this chapter and uh, go through this message. This message should deal with the whole chapter and then next week we'll go to chapter 2. And so I'm trying to uh, pull a lot of scripture into one message here and just give you a few points as we go through. In verse number 1, it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim king of Judah into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God and brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge, And understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And that would be the Aramaic language. And that's why some of the Old Testament is actually written in Aramaic. It's not written in Hebrew. And so that's because of the influence of Babylon. It goes on to say And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. For he gave unto Daniel the name Belshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who hath appointed your meat and your drink, for why should he see your faces worse liking than the children which are of your sort? Then shall you make me endanger my head to the king. Then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days, and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. Then let our countenances be looked upon before thee, and the countenance of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat, and as thou seest, deal with thy servants. So he consented to them in this manner, and proved them ten days, And at the end of ten days their countenances appeared fairer and fatter in the flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. Thus Melzar took away the portion of their meat and the wine which they should drink and gave them pulse. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams, Now at the end of the days that the the king had said he should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king communed with them, and among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. In all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were all in his realm." And Daniel continued, even unto the first year of King Cyrus. What a little statement there at the end of chapter 1. Of course, King Cyrus is the king that was going to make the decree to actually have Israel go back and rebuild Jerusalem. And so what we're seeing here, Daniel being well probably 16 to 19 years old uh, during this uh, captivity, during this siege, now he's going to be there another 70 years Uh, 70 years plus 19 is what? At least 89, 86 to 89 years old. That's how long uh, Daniel uh, worked his ministry here as a prophet during this time, this 70-year captivity. And so quite an interesting statement there. But this message, what I've done is I've entitled it The Blessings of Standing for the Truth. The Blessings of Standing for the Truth. As I take the whole chapter... And as I consider the the context of it all, what I'm seeing here is young men that have made a decision on small things that God used to bless them in a big way. And not just to bless them. There's a reason for this. I believe that God did it to raise them on a different platform. So that he could use them to have a greater influence for his honor and for his glory. So really, it's simply the blessing of standing for the truth. Folks, you're not going to reach your potential for the Lord until you begin to stand on the small things of Scripture. You understand that? Now, many of us, we want to we do great things, and, and that's wonderful. I was singing of William Carey, you know, attempt great things for God. <laughs> you know, that's great. But you know something, if we want to attempt great things for God, we've got to do the little things. If we're not doing the little things, we won't be doing the great things. And so we've got to take note of the the little things during the day. The little truth that we know, we need to start submitting to that. And as we do that, I believe the Lord will bless and enable us for a greater purpose and elevate us to be used in greater ways. Amen? And there's a reason why we don't get elevated. There's a reason why we don't move on further. It's because there's something where we've got our heels dug in and the Lord has to leave us there. Why does the Lord raise people up? Why does he bring you up to a place where you have a greater prominence or, or maybe a greater influence? Well, because you have the ability to have God work through you in a greater way. And if I'm not able to do that and I'm not willing to do that, then you, let me ask this, why would God put me up there? <laughs> Amen. He puts us up there because he wants to use us. It's not about us. It's all about him. Amen. It's all about him. And so uh, let's go through this lesson here. Uh, Point number one, Daniel's unchosen challenge. Daniel's unchosen challenge. I know you're going to have to write here. I apologize for that. This, of course, is referring to the fact Daniel, a teenager. Today we live in a day where something bad happens to us. We spend the next 30 years embittered about the situation that we have to go through. And we're mad at everybody. We're blaming everybody. Just back in Genesis chapter 3, you know, it's the woman that thou gavest me, Lord. And no, it's the devil made me do it. And we kept, keep, you know, passing that blame down. And that's, that's not what God is aiming at here. God wants us to see... That the challenges that we find ourselves in, especially the ones where you have no control. You did not choose it. You did not put yourself there. It was really through the disobedience of others that you're maybe in the position you're in. It's not even because you did it. Somebody else did it. How many kids are looking at their parents, blaming them for their situation because their parents weren't the way they ought to have been. Maybe they were neglectful or sinful or maybe they were addicts or this, that, or the other. Somehow, we allow our unchosen challenges to keep us from being used by God. When in all reality, it's the unchosen challenges that God says, this is the platform that I want to use you on. And the fact that you're rejecting it means you're rejecting my plan for your life. I've said this from the beginning, folks, when it comes to bitterness, it all has to do with your perspective of suffering. Your perspective of suffering and God. If you can connect that, if you can somehow connect the suffering you've gone through with God's will for your life and accept it, there will be no bitterness in your heart. But as long as you look down here at this dirty, rotten, stinking world and start thinking that everybody owes you something, amen. You are never going to be used of God. Never. And folks, by the way, who brought sin into this world anyways? It was us. We're we're the culprits here. God is doing us a favor and even helping us, even reaching out to us. He could have said, you don't want me? See you later, guys, (laughs) you know, and let us all go to hell. He didn't do that. He doesn't owe us. We owe him. We're debtors. Amen. And then what he does is he offers a free salvation where there's no way we can pay him back. Think about that. Being debtors. What he does then, he says, hey, I don't want you to pay for the salvation, but I want you to feel the debt of helping someone else hear that same message. That's the debt I want you to pay. Amen. I want you to experience the debt of being able to forgive others because I've forgiven you so freely. Right? Isn't that the, the unjust servant that wouldn't forgive uh, his fellow servant of the little when he was forgiven of so much, and that king delivered him to the tormentors until he paid what he owed? Well, what did he owe? Not the initial payment that he owed the king. That was forgiven. He owed to do the same thing for his fellow servant, or fellow peer, that his king did for him. That's what you owe. Amen? So when we're bitter at our circumstances, that is in the face of God. That's in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ and everything he did for us on the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago. Because if there was one person that didn't deserve Suffering, it was Him. And yet He freely took it for us. Amen? So sorry, no belly aching. You just can't get away with it. No thumb sucking. Amen? You, 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 you've lost that privilege. <laughs> it's time for us to buckle up here and take our responsibility and everything that God's done for us and, and shift that towards our situation so God can use us and elevate us so that he can be glorified through our life. Amen? That's what this is about. So, Daniel's unchosen challenge. And uh, so many times it's been like that. Look at Israel. Uh, When they came in and their parents... Uh, disobeyed and they didn't go across and I mean what did little Johnny have to do with that? What about little Susie? What, what, what choice did they have when mom and dad didn't have the faith to cross over into the promised land? Yet they had to go 40 years wandering with faithless mom and dad. But you know what God did? <laughs> you kids, you get another chance. But they still had to suffer 40 years. They could have been in the land for 40 years enjoying that land, the promised land. And folks, you'd say, well, that's not fair. I realize that. But you know something? Those people that that were left behind, those children that crossed over, I didn't hear at all. I don't know if you've read in the scripture where they became bitter because they were wandering for 40 years. They were praising God that they had the chance to go into the promised land. No room for belly aching here. No room for thumb sucking. Amen. We've got to just appreciate the opportunity that God has given us to be used by him no matter how hard it has been for you. No matter whether you've been abused, whether you've been neglected, uh, forsaken, whatever it is. You've got to keep going forward and praise God for another opportunity that God can use you. Amen. The next thing I want to look at is Daniel's unwavering commitment. Verse number eight. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. So he purposed This word purpose means to appoint, or to bring, or to call, or to uh, consider, or to determine, to commit himself. Daniel committed himself to something here. This is important. In the midst of being a young man, 16 to 19 years old, whatever he was, in the middle of a situation that he was placed there because his mother and father and those Fathers before him did not obey God. And here he is in that position. They made him a eunuch. That he would never have a relationship with a woman. He would never be married. He would never have children. And you know what Daniel did? Purposed in his heart. Now this is where people lose it. <laughs> they go through things like that. They're not going to commit themselves. They're going to become bitter at God. They're going to hate God for what he's done and what they've allowed him to go through. Amen? Not Daniel. He committed himself. Purposed in his heart. And that's the first thing I want you to see. Now, this is the thing. You think about the trials. Why does God allow you to go through these things? You know, why, does, why is it so important That the backdrop to God's servants is always these hard situations. Why can't it just be easy? (laughs) Amen. I'll tell you why it's the same reason you don't know what flavor the tea is until you put that tea bag in the hot water. Nobody knows what you're like until you get in the hot water. And God proves you. Throughout the scripture, he proves his people. In fact, if you look back, Exodus sixteen four, Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day, that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. How many of us would say, if I had an opportunity to wipe off all the false teachers off this planet that taught a false gospel... And you would have that power to say, be gone, and they'd be gone. How many of us would not take that opportunity to say, be gone? See, God had that power, and he didn't choose to use it. You know what God did? He says, I'm going to leave them there. Why, God? Why would you leave these false teachers? You know, always dogging at your people and dogging at other people and trying to lead them astray. He says, this is why that I can prove them whether they love me or not. I'm going to tell you, you're one of these people that get drawn away by everything you hear on the internet and all these little things. You don't love God. Your love for God will keep you square, man. It will keep you right on the line. I say let them go. I remember one time we had the Jehovah's Witnesses. My dad has a, some development property and we were developing a uh, uh, living uh, place for uh, lower income people to live. To start or whatever, starting homes and so forth. And uh, we own the property. You know, we, we, we rented out the property to the people as they put their homes on there. And it didn't take long. Here comes the Jehovah's Witnesses. You know, So the people are starting to say, well, maybe we should just make a decision because it's our property not to allow them on our property. Now, that sounds logical. But, you know, it didn't take long for those that were in other false teaching to say, well, then what are we going to do about them Baptists? (laughs) Amen. I mean, you're going to take one out. You've got to take them all out. You know what I say? Let them go. Let them go, but then let us go too. Because you know what? Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. <laughs> and folks, I know but you know, it, it bothers me to death when people get, um, you know, deceived by false workers and false teachers and so forth. But I'm going to tell you something. If they are not willing to listen to keep themselves from going astray, They have got a love problem. God said that. And now why do they have a love problem? Where does our love come from for God? Why don't you love God? (laughs) Well, you don't love Him because you don't see what He's done. Amen? The moment we can tell people what God has done for them (laughs) in sending His Son to die for their sins not requiring something from them, not requiring religion and this, that, or the other. And when they see how good God is, (laughs) that's where love comes from. See, the Lord doesn't want you to serve because you're going to hell. If you're serving God because you're scared of going to hell, you are not serving God. In fact, he doesn't even accept that. He says, I will not accept you serving me because you're scared of hell. (laughs) I will accept your service If it's out of love for me. Same thing with dad. When I talk to my kids, you know what I want from them? I don't want to have to bark and order them around the home and have them scared. And that's why they do what I ask them to do. That's not how I want a parent. You know what I want my kids? I want them to do it because they love me. That's true. That's a relationship. That's what every father wants. And why would the father in heaven be any different? Amen. He's not going to set us up with a false gospel that we got to do certain things in order not to go to hell because you will never serve out of love. Never. And the Bible says that he set us free that through liberty we may serve and through love we may serve one another. The same reason you serve me and I serve you. Because I love you and you love me. And that's why you want to do things. And you sacrifice yourself and give up your time and energy for someone else because you love them. Amen? That's why we serve. That's why I preach. (laughs) I'm not trying to just rack up brownie points here. (laughs) Amen? It ought to be out of love. So there's a proving that goes on here. And i got more scripture, but we're going to move on here. Uh, Daniel purposed in his heart. So the first thing is, this isn't a purposing because of what somebody wants from us, mom and dad want, or the preacher, I want to please the preacher. No, Daniel purposed or determined this in his heart. It was an inward decision, not an outward decision. It's not based upon you. It's not based on what you've done. It's not based on how good you are, how bad you are. It's based upon how good God has been. And God was in his heart. He says, this is where the decision's being made. In my heart. Amen. Too many times we make decisions. Based upon whatever criteria. And then when somebody lets us down. We back out on our decision. I'll tell you why. We didn't make it in our hearts. That's why the Bible says. Set your affections on those things which are above. Not those things on the earth. Amen. If he's got your heart and then you purpose in your heart not to defile yourself, I'm going to tell you something. The only way that you're going to back out of that decision if God lets you down, and He never will, He will always be there for you. Amen? You can have everybody betray you. Everybody forsake you. You make a decision in your heart, that goes on forever. Amen? So that was the important thing. What Daniel did—he purposed in his heart, and he purposed not to defile himself, not to defile someone. This is a very interesting passage here. How wasn't he going to defile himself? Well, with a portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. So there's two aspects of the mosaic law that challenged Daniel immediately, and he knew what God had said. And he said, you know what? The Bible tells me I cannot do that. Now really, in the big scope of things, these are probably the minute things of the law. There were bigger issues in the Bible. But this was a big deal to Daniel. Little issue, but a big purposing in his heart about him. Defile means to pollute to stain, to make impure. Daniel said even though these may be little issues to people, especially today, how many of you are concerned about the king's meat? <laughs> You're saying, bring it on, man. <laughs> the more meat, the better. Amen. You know something? He was concerned about being polluted, about being defiled. Daniel was adhering to the scripture. He was scriptural. He was scriptural. The king's meat and wine violated scripture. And if you want to see the passages, you look at uh, Leviticus 11, verse 2. It tells you how that, he says, speak unto the children of Israel, saying, These are the beasts which ye shall eat among all the beasts that are on the earth. In fact, the Lord gave very specific instruction exactly what they could or could not eat. There was never a question whether that animal I could eat and this one I couldn't. They knew exactly which one they could or couldn't. That's how detailed the law was in relation to their diet. Verse number seven, it says, And the swine, though he divide the hoof and be cloven-footed, yet he cheweth not the cud, he is unclean to you. So basically it's like this. He says, you can eat the, the meat of the animal that has a cloven foot like a cow, but you can't eat one that has a hoof like a horse. But then he says, but you can't eat the pig that has the cloven hoof like the cow because the pig doesn't chew the cud. <laughs> so that's another requirement. They've got to chew the cud and they've got to have the cloven hoof. So the Lord's laying out some things here that's very specific. <laughs> Amen. It really is. And so he says these things are unclean to you. Don't eat swine, camels, anything without a cloven hoof and that does not chew cud. He talks about the fish. He says, don't eat fish without scales. That's catfish. You guys ever had catfish before? They don't have scales, do they? I've never eaten one, so... No, I don't think they do. And I probably never will. But I know a lot of guys do. And that's fine. It says, "It says don't eat creeping things in the Scripture. Things that creep on their bellies. The Lord was giving them instruction. Like, don't be eating that dirty stuff. Well, probably pointing back to... Satan in the garden, how he was cursed to slither on his belly. Certain birds like eagles, vultures, you know what they could eat? Beetles. But they couldn't eat any insect or flying thing that had only four legs. Now, what in the world? <laughs> Those that have four feet were an abomination to them, an abomination. Leviticus 11, 44, For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore sanctify yourselves, and you shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall you defile yourselves with any manner of creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Then there's also the wine. Proverbs 23, verse 30, it talks about they that tarry long at the wine, they that go seek mixed wine. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. He's not talking about grape juice here. He's talking about alcoholic wine. That's the wine that Nebuchadnezzar would have drank. Proverbs 31, verse 4. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor princes strong drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. So the reason why they shouldn't be drinking alcohol is that their judgment would be perverted. And we've got a place as God's people to help people and to, and to be wise and to guide them in the truth and so forth. And if we're a bunch of drunkards, we're not going to help anybody. And Daniel says, I'm not going to listen to this. I'm not going to drink this stuff. I'm not going to eat that stuff. I'm purposing in my heart, I will not defile myself. Because God said, don't do it. Daniel, in essence... He sought to be separate from the world. In Romans 12 verse2, 12, uh, it says, "And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God." That means our life ought to be a constant process of testing whether I'm in the will or will of God or not in all the different areas of my life." You understand that? It's not that you all know right now. That everything you're doing is exactly the right thing to do. You have to constantly test. Constantly ask yourself, should I be doing this? Then You'll be going on and doing something for years. All of a sudden it just hits your mind. Should I be doing this? Then you begin to prove it because the Lord has brought you to a place where you're at lesson number 12 or lesson number 13 or lesson number 15. He says, now it's time for you to address this part. (laughs) Amen. Now that's not an area for someone else to say, hey, why haven't you finished that lesson? Well, you may be on lesson 30, but I'm still on 15, okay? So pray for me that I can get done lesson 15. You don't go to students and say, what's wrong with you as far as me? <laughs> you know, pride, <laughs> right? We're all at different places in the Christian walk. It's just a matter of whether we're doing the lesson we're on. Are we moving forward? Are we learning that? Are we proving? Are we testing what the will of God is? Daniel was like that. Constantly prodding, constantly testing. Is this right for me? Is that right for me? And not in a self-righteous way. <laughs> He was concerned about his relationship with God. And folks, once you get to the point where you start having standards and you start doing things because of your walk with God, then you can start opening your mouth. But if you've got no walk with God, don't go and correct people in the way they live. Do you understand? Because you're just a legalist then. (laughs) You're just doing things just so you can look like you're spiritual. When you walk with God, you begin to understand the reason why you're doing these things is to protect your walk with God. It's really to protect you. Amen? It's so important. But I'll tell you something. This is what happens. Especially with us guys, us good Baptists. We get on to some of these standards. I believe in standards, you know. But we start holding on to them and preaching them to people You know why? Because it's the only form of spirituality that we have. We can't talk to them what Jesus spoke to our heart about today. (laughs) So we talk about how long their hair is. You get that? (laughs) If If you'd be listening to what Jesus told you today, maybe you'd go to that person with the long hair And tell them what Jesus told you today. Wouldn't that be great? Then the person with long hair looking, man, that Jesus is good. And you know what Jesus will do? He'll just touch his heart. And it won't take long, and all of a sudden, this guy with the long hair. Why am I talking about long hair? Because I was that guy. I was going to church, I had hair down there. Nobody ever told me to cut my hair. Not once. I was in a rock band. I was going to Baptist church. <laughs> Nobody came up to me and said, Bruh. but you know what? God began to do work in here. Good people just drew up alongside and encouraged me. I'll tell you something. The long hair, all of a sudden, I said, you know what? I need to cut my hair. Nobody told me to. I came to church, all of a sudden, I was cut. Everybody looks at me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> all of a sudden, I quit the rock and roll. All of a sudden, I'm smashing up all my CDs. Nobody told me, go smash your CDs. It was in my heart. A purpose in my heart. When I smashed them, they were gone. I remember I had a friend, oh, don't do that, give them to me. I said, no way, man, <laughs> they're done. You ain't getting none of these. You give me a million dollars, I wouldn't give you these CDs. They still have CDs, don't they? <laughs> Hey, when I was younger, it was tapes, cassette tapes. I remember 8-tracks. Amen. Anyways, God can cleanse. This is interesting, because I was thinking about this. Um, Daniel sought to be separate from the world, and this whole aspect of clean and unclean. You know, the Scriptures talk about this. In fact, I think I had it here. I'm just trying to, maybe I skipped a point. We talked about the purpose um it's here somewhere. Here it is. Leviticus 11 verse 46, on that same chapter, it says this: "This is the law of the beasts and of the fowl and of every living creature that moveth in the waters, and of every creature that creepeth upon the earth to make a difference between the unclean and the clean, and between the beasts that may be eaten and the beast that may not be eaten. What he's saying is this, I'm trying to teach you that there's a difference. There's a difference between things that are defiled and there's a difference between things that are not defiled. And so when he gave them those dietary laws, he wasn't saying, oh, that meat, it's poison. Because some of you eat that meat. How many of you had bacon? That was part of Old Testament law. Every day. (laughs) Amen, brother. (laughs) You know? So, what is the Lord doing here? Obviously, it's not a morality issue with the meat itself. But what the Lord is doing through Israel is trying to teach the world there's a difference between clean and unclean. Now, today, Christianity, we're going backwards, we're trying to convince everybody there's no difference. Between the clean and the unclean. But I don't think that's true. I think the Bible tells us we're still, as God's people, supposed to be a testimony to the world of the difference of what is clean and what is unclean. That's why you will not go certain places, that's why you won't drink certain things, (laughs) that's why you won't be smoking. Gonna be doing drugs. That's unclean. We know that. The scriptures tell us that. Amen. Amen. So we as God's people were making this decision that you know what? I don't want to defile myself with the king's meat. And I'm gonna purpose in my heart not to do this. Now, God's got this power where he says something. And you just got to listen to it. <laughs> and you know why? Because he made you. So he could just say, stop breathing. You'd go, <laughs> you know what I mean? This God has power over your life. It, it, it just, it's awesome sometimes when I look back at my life, how the way I lived in the face of God, how the Lord just watched me. Oh, bless your soul. And all he would have to do is say, Stop and I would have crumpled to the ground, dead. The power of my God. (laughs) I understand that now. (laughs) I'm trying to understand that in the aspect of all the areas of my life, that God has power here. God has power. He can say, that's unclean. Then later on, he can say, it's clean now. (laughs) And you can't argue with him. Try (laughs) you can argue with me about it but you can't argue with him about it now God can cleanse what was once unclean we saw that in scripture in fact remember the 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 sheet that came down when Peter had that vision (laughs) what did God tell Peter to do all these I'll read to you it says on the morrow as they went on their journey and drew nigh into the city Peter went up to the housetop to pray about the sixth hour and he became very hungry And he would have eaten, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Now, this is the problem. (laughs) Because the same scripture that Daniel was obeying in Daniel chapter 1 that told him not to eat that, that same God that wrote that book is now speaking to Peter and saying, Eat it. So what should Peter have done? Eat it. (laughs) Amen. Amen. Because it's God's word. It's not about the book. It's about what God said, right? And so, but Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake on him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call thou not common. So I've called that unclean. You shouldn't eat it. But now I've cleansed it. And if I've cleansed it, you can eat it. Now, is that important to you? (laughs) Well, it ought to be, especially if you're a sinner. See, believers have been cleansed from their sin. See, you were that unclean thing. But because of Christ's blood, now he says, I call you clean. And you used to be unclean. Aren't you glad that God can change things like that? Take something that's unclean and make it clean? (laughs) In Job 15, verse 14, he says, What is man that he should be clean? And which is born of a woman that he should be righteous? Job was really wondering about this. How could man ever be called clean? Yet God in this very vision is saying, I call them clean. Amen? The Gentiles, they've been made clean. We are the Gentiles. Amen? Acts 10 verse 28. Peter, after that vision... While that vision was just ending, he heard a knock at the door, had a couple of servants knock at the door and say, hey, our master sent us to you to come to his house and tell him about Jesus. Now this was an Italian soldier. Italian is Gentile. This had not happened before, but you know, the Bible did say that God gave Peter the keys to the kingdom. So what the Lord was doing is passing him a key and saying, go unlock that door. And that's what Peter did. And when we got to that door of of Cornelius, the Italian centurion, he said unto them, Ye know how that is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. But God hath showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. (laughs) God did that. So before... He couldn't even enter into that household. And now because God told him, he stepped in. And I'm sure his heart was going, (laughs) you know. I mean, this is just not seen. I mean, Pharaoh, you'd you'd be put to death for stuff like this. He goes in there, preaches the gospel. And you would think just like at the day of Pentecost, that they'd have to be baptized. Then the Holy Ghost would come upon the Jews. No, the Bible says, while he yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell upon them. No baptism, no religious things. See, that, that's us today. You're sitting here today, I talk about Jesus, and I tell you what he's done for you. I tell you how he's died, and he shed his blood to pay for your dirty, rotten sin, so that you could go to heaven one day. In your heart, you just kind of ponder that, And you just say, oh, I believe you, Jesus. I believe this. In that very moment, the Holy Ghost. Now the preacher asks for an invitation. If you want to get saved, come to the front. (laughs) So you come forward, you pray a prayer. You were saved before you got to the front. You were saved the moment you believed. Whosoever believeth on him. Amen. The Lord has made all meat clean. Did you know that? The Bible says in First Timothy 4, one. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. By the way, that's today. This latter times is right now. In fact, the last days started with the day of Pentecost. And we're within those last days today. We're on the end the end of history, Amen. We're at the end of this thing. It says, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, so they say, you can't marry, and commanding to abstain from meats. I've had people come to me, oh, you shouldn't eat that. I remember I had a Seventh Day Adventist tell me, oh, you should never drink cow's milk. That's for the calf. <laughs> That's what they told me. I was just like, Thought about that, yeah, you're right. <laughs> it's for the calf <laughs> and meat. <laughs> Commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Look at this next passage. For every creature of God is good, and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. Then it goes on to say this, for it is sanctified, set apart by the word of God, remember, what God calls clean, you don't call unclean, so God said it, and prayer. Thank you, Lord. You want to eat a snake? Go ahead. I'm not going to eat a snake. I don't like snake. I will eat walleye amen maybe you don't like walleye i'm gonna eat walleye some people oh i'd never eat that fish I had someone tell me this all oh, your fish here in canada is terrible i said well i like it Amen. <laughs> i'll eat the fish that's fine you know the bible says that every creature of god is good if it be received with thanksgiving so when you look back at daniel and he i'm not going to defile myself with the king's meat what's he saying Does the meat defile? No. What would have defiled Daniel was the fact that he wouldn't have taken God seriously in making a difference between what was clean and unclean to God. That's our responsibility. You can nitpick all these little things, but that's the principle. That's the principle of separation. That's the principle that was throughout the scripture. How God wants to demonstrate that, that's up to him. In fact, at one point he said, it's an abomination for an ox and an ass to plow together. An abomination. See, if I went and got an ox and a donkey and put them in the same yoke, that somehow I would be condemned? No, he's trying to teach us something. In the principle he's teaching us that you can't have things of two different Uh, natures pull in the same direction he's saying marry someone that's saved not only that don't just marry someone that's saved marry someone that's sold out to God because you're going to have one pull in this way and one pull in that way see he says that's the abomination The abomination is the fact that we don't take seriously that God has a specific way he wants us to live and the way he wants us to manifest him to this world and we don't take him seriously. And so we get all caught up in the meat, in the pork. (laughs) It's not about the pork. It's about the principle. Amen? And that's why Daniel said, I purpose in my heart I will not defile myself with the king's meat nor the wine. Daniel purposed by faith. That means he had to do this without really seeing that it was going to turn out okay. That's what faith is. Faith is taking God's word on it. And no matter how anybody lays it out, no matter what the threat is, no matter what the risk is, I'm doing what the Bible says anyways. And I'm going to, be, I'm going to trust God for the result. That's faith. Many times our faith today is, well, God, I'll do this. If you show me first that it's going to be okay. (laughs) He said, well, then it wouldn't be faith. It's like I said with Job. If Job would have known why he was suffering, it wouldn't have been faith either. See, sometimes your ignorance is what keeps you in the faith. (laughs) But one day when you go to heaven, there'll be no more faith. You're going to see it all. You don't need faith then. <laughs> it's all before you. But we have an opportunity right now as God's people to walk in a way where we do not know what is going to happen as we are obedient to what the Bible says and we can experience the blessing of that ignorance. <laughs> because the Bible says that, uh, well, Hebrews chapter 11, I'm going to turn there real quick. I realize we've got to be done here, guys. The first couple of verses in Hebrews in the the faith chapter. Now faith is the what? Substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. My faith becomes the substance. My faith itself says, well, you can do what you want, but I know That making this decision to purpose in my heart about this is going to be way better for me than what you're doing. And maybe you don't see it, and I don't see all the results. I don't see how it's going to turn out. But you know what? My faith itself has become substance. And my faith itself is its own evidence of what I don't see. Amen? That's what faith is. It's good. (laughs) So, Daniel purposed by faith. Daniel also purposed for himself. For himself. Now, I'll tell you something. I wish I could make a decision for everybody, but it doesn't work that way. I have to purpose for myself. You understand that? In fact, in Ezekiel, remember, Ezekiel is a contemporary of of Daniel here. Ezekiel is actually taken captive to Babylon as well, but he's by the river Chabar. Remember, he was getting those visions by the river. That was right by Babylon, because he was taken captive in that second siege. (laughs) And so this is what he says. He says, Though Noah, Daniel, who was alive while he wrote this, and Job were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither son nor daughter, they shall but deliver their own souls by their righteousness. In other words, he said, even though a great man like Daniel is in Babylon, the only person that will be delivered by Daniel is Daniel. Do you understand that? I can't make a choice for you. When I purpose in my heart to do something, I'm purposing by myself. It's not based on whether you do it first or I do it last or who does it. Sometimes we sit here and we wait, well, maybe let's see what they do first. (laughs) Hey, (laughs) don't let them dictate your deliverance. Amen? You do what is right because of what the scripture says and you purpose in your heart to deliver yourself, then at least you're in a position to help people to understand that they need to deliver themselves. Isn't that what 1 Timothy chapter 2 talks about? It says that God, peradventure, would grant them repentance unto acknowledging of the truth, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. So here I am, talking to somebody. I'm trying to be... I'm apt to teach. I'm gentle. I'm meek. I'm patient. I'm ready to tell them whatever they need to know. And the fact of the matter is, <laughs> I have no ability to make this guy listen. God grants them repentance, the devil has them in his grasp. You know what the big problem is? The person's choice that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. So when you purpose something in your heart, you're purposing it for you at that time. And that means you do not do it because someone else doesn't or someone else just does. You do it because you know you need it. You don't wait for everybody else to get right. You be the first to get right. Because it's that righteousness that will deliver you from your situation. If all of us in here were wrong, the one that gets right, that's the one that's delivered. And you can have a Noah preaching for 120 years as right as rain, and every person that heard him preach will die and go to hell. You think about that. That's powerful truth. We need to make that decision for ourselves. That way we're in a place where we can help others understand, hey, you need to recover yourself here. You need to make a decision for yourself. If you're waiting for some osmosis, some miracle, some slap on the head, it ain't going to happen. You have got to make a choice and purpose in your own heart to be free and to do the right thing. And if you're not going to do it, you never will, though you are surrounded by a hundred righteous people. You will die like that. And you don't want to die like that. You don't want to be ashamed when Christ comes. You don't want to look Him in the eye when He shows you His nail-scarred hands and with everything He's done for you. And look at Him and say, I did nothing for you, Jesus. I love myself too much. The Bible says He will be ashamed. And He also says this, that He will deny you. How many of you have felt denied by your parents? You think that's bad? You wait until the time comes where the Lord wants to divvy out responsibilities and positions in the kingdom and he'll see you there. He says, I can't use you. He says the father, we can't use him. In fact, his conversation isn't with you. His conversation is with the father. In fact, the Bible says that He talks to His Father and He denies you to His Father. No, sir. <laughs> it's not worth it. Whatever garbage you've got going down down here, whatever filth you've got stowed away in your quiet secret place, it is not worth it. Whatever sin you're harboring and nobody knows about, it is not worth it. Well, I just like, I know there's a lot of things I like too. Guess what? My flesh likes a lot of the things that the devil likes. That's why I have to crucify my flesh. Well, I don't know what's wrong with this music. I like this music. Duh. I know you like it. But that's not the criteria for whether you should have it. Whether you should have it is if God says, is it clean or is it unclean? Your flesh will always love it. To this day, I'll hear a song that I used to th- play in my rock band, and it'll kick up memories about that. Oh, I'm so righteous, I hear that. It's like, oh, no, that flesh in me gets kicked up immediately. I have to say, get down there, buddy. Oh, yeah, you're in control, right? Holiness movement, and all that. You got no more temptation. <laughs> Till the day you die, my friend, every day you go out there, you're going to meet that temptation. The flesh is going to rear itself up and you've got to say, get down there, you dirty dog. You've given me nothing but problems in my life. And I choose to walk in the Spirit today. Amen? Daniel purpose for himself. That's all the time I have for. Let's bow our heads. What a powerful chapter to start off the book of Daniel. We all know that what took place, Daniel came up with a plan. And that plan was to not eat or drink what the king had offered, but to eat something very simple like pulse, vegetables, water. And it wasn't the attributes of the pulse that made them fatter and healthier. It was God answering. See, that was his faith decision. He says, God, you've got to answer this. You've got to, you've got to do something here. And God blessed them because of their decision in those small things. God says, I'm going to give you understanding, wisdom, wisdom, Daniel, I'm going to give you a spiritual gift that you can interpret dreams. And the reason why I'm doing this is that the king is going to raise you up. And I want to use you to do greater things for God. So you want to do greater things for God? You've got to handle what's under your feet today. The will of God for you is not about tomorrow. Tomorrow. It's not about next year. If all you can think about is next year, you'll never get there. Your focus has to be on what's going on today. What's under your feet today? What are you doing today? What's unclean today? If you will purpose in your heart, I guarantee you this, that God will respond. You'll be healthier. You'll be stronger. He will gift you. He will make you able to stand in higher places, to do greater things, to reach more people. That was the whole purpose of Daniel chapter one. Is how is Daniel going to get to that place where I can shake four empires? Four empires. I need a man that's willing to stand in that gap. I need a man to purpose himself. And you've got to ask yourself, are you that man? Because you're not making this for someone else. It doesn't matter if the person next to you is making a decision. You have to, in your own heart, just like Daniel, among all the thousands of Hebrew boys, he stood up and said, no, I will not do this i'm going to make a difference and maybe that's you today maybe there's something the lord is pointing out in your heart tonight and you know that god is just ringing that bell i'll tell you something: it's no mistake it's not the baptist preacher it's the holy spirit of god it's god himself the one that holds your breath